0: This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. The opinions expressed in this episode are not to be construed as medical advice. Welcome to Demystify Beauty, a weekly podcast about creating transparency in the beauty space. I'm Mackenzie Westmore.
1: And I'm Dr. Paul Massif, and we got Uncle Terry Debro here with us. So wait a minute. I love it. <laughs> you guys, wait a minute. What's this you were saying a minute ago? How do you guys know each other?
2: I met Mackenzie like 25 yeah. years ago. I came up with this yeah. product that, was for acne. Jeez. I wrote a book called "The Acne Cure." It was a best
1: Oh, you told book. me about something like this.
2: And it was a really great idea. It had frozen benzoyl peroxide. Oh, yeah. It all of the key things that caused acne, and we did an infomercial together. The problem yeah. is, we did it with these incredibly creative, incredibly dishonest guys. <laughs> infomercial that they did before they got in trouble for. So just as we did our infomercial, they never released it because the federal government went after the the money guys. Dang. So it was
0: this genius product, this cool infomercial. I mean, I loved that product. I lived by that product. And yeah, I mean, I remember hanging out with you. We did that cool infomercial in that home, overlooking the ocean. It was so awesome. I can't
2: believe 25 years later, here we are.
1: Well, wait a minute. Can't we do it again, but can't I be involved, too? Can't the three of us do oh, it?
2: Oh here, oh, here we go. The, the man <laughs> his finger's in everybody's pies, okay? Yeah. By the way, I'd like to look guess. at you. Look at you, Paul. You have enough fingers in pies, okay? You need to lay <laughs> off the pies. More. <laughs> <Got some laughs> come on, man. Lemon, come cherry. on, I like
1: acne. Let's, let's, but I want to be involved. Come on, man. Take care of way, your brother.
2: The infomercial we did was brilliant. Mackenzie was amazing, but we never got to release it because they just, by the way, did you know they had, I'm sure you remember at the time, they had to pay back the federal government for a previous infomercial, like $125 million. It was like the highest amount that somebody ever had to pay the federal government in what's called redress because they made so many false claims on their previous product. By the way, you know what their false claim was? What? Take these two pills Eat anything you want, and you will lose weight.
1: (laughs) Oh, my I want to be able to do that. So do you when you have dinner. Speaking of that, where's dinner tonight? For me? Yeah.
2: It's a catch steak.
1: Again, your favorite.
2: I'm having catch steak tonight, and I don't know. Are we having dinner tomorrow night?
1: Well, we're supposed to. Yeah. So ask (laughs) Heather. You guys pick, because I know you wanted us to see your new condo.
2: By the way, is it me, or do I look particularly muscular in this... Picture, this video right
1: now go ahead you can flex for a yeah, go go ahead, ahead, for. Flex. Flex. You know
2: i am looking oh, i'm kidding
0: <laughs> i feel like i'm in the middle of botched right now even
1: <laughs> don't worry he'll start insulting me more by the way please don't <laughs> insult me that much during this podcast um all right well let's get going what i want to talk about with you is breast work yeah and you know a lot of these patients don't still know. You know, difference with a lift versus reduction versus yeah. if you'd need an implant. You know, can you give us kind of like a breast work, you know, breast 101 kind of a little synopsis?
2: Okay. So just very briefly, when it comes to breasts, there's sort of three or four fundamental problems that people have they complain of. They either, their breasts are too small or they're too big or and or they're droopy or deflated. And deflated... Doesn't always mean droopy, it means you had kids, you breastfed, they deflated, but they don't necessarily droop. So you can get droopiness, you can get deflation without droopiness, deflation with droopiness, you can be too small, you can be too big. So that's pretty much it, okay? So as you all know, if you do, if, you, if you're if you too small and you're not droopy, you do a breast implant. And I'll talk mm-hmm. to you about the pros and cons for a I moment yeah if you are droopy and you like your size you can have a breast lift but then you need external scars right Mm -hmm. if you're deflated and droopy you consider implants for volume and a lift for fixing the droopiness so at the end of the day it really is a question of do you need breast implants do you need a lift and if you have a reduction all reductions include not only removing breast tissue but lifting the breast tissue as well so That's as you all know. Those are sort of that's the four one of the general issues regarding breasts and breast implants and lifts. Regarding the question of breast implant illness, so there's this thing called BII, breast implant illness. Now, if you look online, you will see a lot of people in these support groups who say, and I believe them because I believe all patients pretty much. So. Breast implant illness, does it exist? So the binary questions regarding breast implant illness is, does it actually exist? In other words, is the silicone implant in your body actually getting into your system and giving you various diseases, meaning body aches, fevers, rashes, fatigue, all sorts of things that have been associated with breast implant illness. Does it exist? I think if you ask, and they're being honest, a group of plastic surgeons who are not trying to be politically correct. In other words, you're having a cocktail with a bunch of plastic surgeons who do breast surgery and you see, does breast implant illness exist? They would probably go, meh. Do I think really? breast implant illness exists? I think, to, a, I think yeah, I think you put a foreign body made out of a plastic polymer in somebody and in a certain percentage of patients, it can wreak havoc on their immune system. So yeah, I mean do you think long COVID exists? I mean, when I hear people are two years out from COVID and still have these whole things, I believe them. So <laughs> I think it's very rare. I think, Mackenzie, mm. um, the, the, the main problem I have with yeah. breast implant Ill- illness is the following. If someone has a significant case of breast and Im- implant illness and they have a lot of symptoms that is commonly associated with breast implant illness, you would think, if you take the breast implants out, it should fix the problem. The problem is it doesn't tend yeah, does to it? do that. Oh, no. wow! Hmm? Wow! Really?
0: See, that is fascinating because that's actually what first brought me to Dr. Nassif because of Matt Matt Westmore, and I thought I had breast implant illness. I thought that's what was making me sick because I've had my implants for twenty six years, and come to find out, it wasn't that. (laughs) We discovered what the problem was, it was my face. Uh, But I I just assumed because my implants are so old, and and I would love to hear your thoughts on that, of not changing them out. I'm curious about that as well.
2: So when it comes to longevity of breast implants and whether at a certain time, and if you look on the internet, a lot of patients come in saying, oh, at 10 years, you have to have your implants changed out. It's like changing the tires after a certain number of miles. You know, it's interesting because if you go to the American Society of Plastic Surgeons and their position papers about what they recommend, some of them used to say every 10 years. And then it changed to, well, if you do regular surveillance, which means you do an MRI, or now they're recommending a high-definition type ultrasound, which is better because MRIs are $1,200, and they're fine and they're not ruptured. You're okay. You can probably go longer than 10 years, but it depends on what website you look at. What do I believe? Mm -hmm. As a guy who's been doing this for a long time, I believe if a patient comes into you at 12 years, they're not having a complication, meaning they're not displaced, malpositioned, hard as a rock, painful. They're happy. Everything looks okay. And they're wondering, well, I've got breast implants from 12 years ago. Should I have them taken out or not? I say, well, have you done a recent ultrasound like it's recommended or MRI? And they all say no, because even though we recommend it, the FDA requires us to recommend it. Who's going to spend $1,200 doing that when they're, when, there's, when they're fine? What I always say is, you know, what I'm supposed to tell you is you should probably have an MRI. You should probably assess the implant and see whether it's structurally intact, whether there's any evidence of an intracapsular leak or an extracapsular leak. I won't bore you with... You can imagine what the difference is between those two. And if you have an extra capsule leak, by the way, the FDA and the American board will tell you if any leak, you have to have them taken out. I'm not even sure if you even have a little bit of a leak, whether you necessarily have to rush to take them out either. But at the end of the day, if you have an MRI or an ultrasound study that shows they're intact in your 12 years, I would say my feeling is, why don't you do regular surveillance Unless you want to make a change anyway, like go bigger, smaller, get a lift, have them out anyway. You know, Mackenzie, a big thing. Hey,
1: you mentioned one point, just real quick to give a a brief description of that. Can you get, spend a minute talking about capsular contraction? Yeah.
2: Please. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So breast augmentation is the most common plastic surgery procedure by far of all plastic surgery procedures. Just like breast implants. Liposuction, uh, rhinoplasty is three, I think, right? Blepharoplasty is mm-hmm. four, and tummy tuck is five. But if there are two million rhinoplasties done a year, or one million, there are eight million breast augmentations. But what's so wow. difficult about breast augmentation is it has more complications than any procedure, and that's because if you think about it, you You have a procedure, there's infection, bleeding, scarring, all sorts of different risks, but they're pretty much less than 1%, except for rhinoplasty. Rhinoplasty is so difficult that the risks are greater than 1%, not in Paul's hands, but in the average plastic surgeon's hands, okay? Not not necessarily a world-class plastic surgeon, but the average guy, okay? But breast augmentation, even if you have a guy or girl plastic surgeon who does 700 of these things a year, there is an unavoidable complication that has nothing to do with the plastic surgeon themselves, unless they don't do a good job. And that is when you put a foreign body in the human, the the human uh, immune system will, has to react to it. That's Mm -hmm. its job. Mm -hmm. It's the police force of the body, right? So unfortunately there are different, departments of the immune system's police force. If you put in a virus or a bacteria, the immune system's very smart. It knows exactly how to deal with it, and it activates one arm of the immune system. If you put a liver transplant in someone that doesn't match their type, then a really super specific, sensitive, smart arm of the immune system will engage and attack it. And so that when when it's a higher sensitivity system, we have often more control about how to minimize the chance that the immune system will attack it. Unfortunately, when it comes to breast implants, it activates a part of the immune system that's very rudimentary. I basically call it the mall cops of the immune system, right? If liver transplant activates the SWAT team, all right, or the CIA or whatever, implants activate the mall cops on the those, you know the chubby guy with the yes yeah spray, yeah right and and it does just one thing it only knows to do one thing you put an implant in and within 72 hours it always forms a very fine capsule made out of collagen around the implant most of the time after it forms that capsule it goes away and that's called grade one capsule that's what you want a soft, accepted breast implant. Unfortunately, at any time after the initial operation, the body's immune system can decide to come back and go, oh, you? I don't like you. I don't know you that well. I'm, I'm, and, and just start putting scar tissue. And if, it's uh, puts, if it gets puts enough scar tissue, it gets tight. It gets stiff. It gets hard. That's grade two. Grade three is it's really hard and it's starting to look distorted. And grade four, which is the most severe capsular contracture is it's displaced it up or out or in or down. And it not only is hard, but it also is distorted in its shape. So unfortunately, plastic surgeons won't tell you this, but I will tell you this. The real occurrence of capsular contracture, despite your plastic surgeon that you go into for a consult who will say, Oh yeah, I mean it can happen, but it never happens to me. <laughs> it happens five to fifteen percent of the time. It just wow. does. Even if you're the greatest breast surgeon, even if you're the Paul Nassif equivalent breast surgeon, you're like, Who's that that guy? What's his name on that that show where he fixes all those difficult breast implant problems? What's that guy's name? Oh, it's me, right. Me, yeah, of course. (laughs) You're the Yeah, of course. I'm just kidding. But at the end of the day, there is nothing you can do to 100% avoid it. So if I told you that there was an operation that had a 15% chance of failing, that's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot. That's very high. I mean, I have a little bit lower rate because... I don't know. You know, you do something long enough, you get a little bit better at it. But I should have a higher rate because revisional breast surgery has a higher rate of capsular contracture, of forming capsules.
0: Oh, wow. Wow. that's now, do you find when they get encapsulated, do they get painful?
1: Ooh.
2: Okay, so... Stage four. Stage four. Great. Ah. So, I would say grade two... So, grade one probably happens... 75% of the time, grade two probably happens. I mean, when, when you have a complication, so when you have capsular contracture of the 25% chance that you have it, of those 25%, sort of 70% will be grade two, 20% will be grade three and 10% will be grade four. So it happens. It happens not infrequently. And by the way, if you've ever given given someone a hug and you feel like rocks, that's mm-hmm. grade four. It's common. So oh, what can wow. you do to minimize that? I mean, you can use a silicone implant placed under the muscle, done bloodlessly with absolutely minimal to no contamination. Because two things that clearly will cause it is bleeding into the pocket. And you might not know you have bleeding into the pocket. If You have a breast imp- augmentation done on you. You go home and if it's really bruised, you should say to your doctor, Are you sure this blood that's in the tissue is not also in the pocket? Because Paul knows, like I know, you do a facelift, right? And then one side is particularly really bruised. That may be a sign that underneath the skin, there's a collection of blood seeping into the tissue. Same goes for breasts. There may be a collection of blood in the pocket seeping into the tissue. And if that's the case and your doctor goes, well, it's just bruising. Don't worry about it. Yeah, that it's just bruising. Maybe a small hematoma which may not completely absorb and will activate potentially the immune system to overreact to the foreign body. Instead of laying down a grade one thin capsule, it just goes berserk and it lays down a grade two and three. And that's when you see early encapsulation. But I want to tell everyone who's seeing this just because you encapsulate early doesn't mean your surgeon did anything wrong. It can happen to the best of us. I had a case last year, this year I did her breast implants. She encapsulated early. Now I, so the the next question you might, you might want to ask me is: well, if it starts to encapsulate, is there something you can do to stop it or reverse it? Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. So this is very important. This is why, don't blow off your doctor's appointments when you've had when you've had any cosmetic surgery or any surgery for that matter. but when you have breast implant surgery, the doctor might want to see you two weeks out even though it looks great you know if it's really bruised and he's concerned or she's concerned that there's fluid in the pocket you want to get that out of there because if it's undrained and it doesn't it, it starts to cause an encapsulation. okay, you caught it early. Even if you do an ultrasound and you see there's no fluid in there, if it's starting to tighten up early, this is what we do. Most doctors use a smooth muscle relaxant that is an asthma drug called singular, okay? It's weak. It doesn't work very well. The better one is called Accolate. Accolate is a pill. It's like Accutane in a way. You take one pill a day for three months. You test your liver enzymes once a month to make sure it's not affecting and and inflaming your liver just like you do with accutane and that's been shown accolade to have a significant positive effect on evolving developing capsular contracture i use it like crazy having said that and then i'll end and we can talk some more but having said that if Your viewers go online and look up Accolade. They may find that there was a warning put out by the American Society of Plastic Surgeons to like stop using it. Well, I still use it and I use it, but I tell them very carefully, we have to test your liver because that's the one potential problem. It can cause Mm -hmm. an inflammation Mm -hmm. of the liver. But in my entire time of using it, 20 years or so, I've only had to stop one patient because their liver enzymes bumped but if i didn't check them and then i send them into full fluorid hepatitis or something oh bad on me so, yeah. so that's what you do you can you put it under the muscle silicone better than saline to minimize the chance it happens early detection early diagnosis early treatment with accolade testing your liver enzymes
0: interesting see that's I, like i told you i mean I'm, i've i had mine for 26 years
2: mm-hmm. i'm not
0: happy at this point because it's been so long and they are encapsulated i'll be honest are I, they silicone I, saline and they are under the muscle i'll probably be calling you at some point <laughs> i think i just want to take is them that, out
1: is, is that normal to put saline under the muscle
2: so you so this question is to, there's there's four key issues. I don't know if you guys want me to do this, but there's four key issues when it comes to yeah. breast implants. I'll just be very quick about it. Issue one is where do you put the incision? Usually, usually we put an incision underneath the areola, very yeah. small little smile from the four o'clock to seven o'clock position. You can put it underneath, you can put it through the armpit, but most of us guys like to, he- to hide it there, okay? Mm-hmm. Issue two is where do you put the implant? Above or below the muscle, the pocket location? of surgeons who are board certified and know what they're doing and are trained in plastic surgery will tell you to put it below because one, it helps to minimize capsular contracture. Two, it looks better. It makes a better transition from the chest wall. If you put it on top, you have a higher rate of capsular contracture and you sometimes go from chest wall to boom, implant all of a sudden. In other words, that more artificial look. and You don't get that natural transition. You get that when you put it on the muscle. So most of us prefer it under the muscle. And if you've had capsular contracture and you're on top of the muscle, you need to be put under the muscle. That's a very complicated, difficult operation that takes that has a steep learning curve that not a lot of plastic surgeons know how to do. Well, there's a lot of them that could do it well. I'm just saying, make sure if you need to go from on top to under because you've got capsular contracture you look at your plastic surgeon in the eye say have you done this operation a bunch of times cuz i heard this one is tricky cuz it's tricky to go from on top to under because suddenly you're going from a rounded breast that was made rounded by the implant to lifting the muscle up which is which is now flat which is hard t- to get it under there looking good anyway that's what you do
1: so Very that that's actually i mean one thing too so when you hear that mckenzie um hopefully when we see these patients that come in unbotched, uh, you know, that have had all these breast implants issues, yeah. but most of the times too, you'll see the patients that want to go bigger and bigger and bigger oh. that that he does. Tell them quickly about when you see these patients that want to go huge.
2: Yeah. Okay. So that's a very important point because a patient will often come in big and they're encapsulated right? Their heart is a rock. And you say, okay, we'll take the scar tissue out and put new implants in. They always go, or often go, well, let's go bigger. Well, just logically speaking, because you've got to remember something about plastic surgery. It's science and it's art. It's a very soft science. So what I mean by that is, you know, if you don't hit the orbit just right with a rocket, it's going to skid out and burn up. Plastic surgery is the art and experience of the plastic surgeon that's doing it on you. So You really got to listen to sort of their experience. But at the end of the day, if you think about it, and this is the art of plastering, if your body didn't like an implant this big, it's going to hate it.
0: Yeah.
2: (laughs) So does that really make any sense to go, I mean, that's common sense to me. (laughs) And, And by the way, common sense it doesn't always apply to the human body, but it often does. Like if someone says, "You know, you're sick. You've got a fever. Right. You fatigue. Should you go exercise? Exactly. No.
0: <laughs> Probably not. If
2: you're sniffing, if you're sniffling, and you feel okay, okay. Yeah. You know, it's like you. Know, but so, for me, if you've got capsular contracture, and it's happened a couple of times, we're not going bigger. In fact. We're going smaller because I believe that part of the reasons people get capsular contraction is the body just goes, hey, F you. I don't Ah. like this implant. So it's rebelling. So if by rebelling, I sort of visualize it's putting a lot of pressure on the tissue. Remember, your tissue is you. Your tissue is a living, breathing organism. So if you insult the tissue, it fights back. Right. Right. I mean, how do we feel? How do we fight off infections? You know what we do? We attack. Mm -hmm. We attack and we make pus. I mean, we make the pus. The bacteria is not making the pus. Our white blood cells are making a very inhospitable environment for the bacteria. And pus is like, that's body going, let's go get out of my body. It's trying to make it into liquid to push it out so you can, Uh, you know, it's, and we're just helping it as, as clinicians so if you're putting a lot of pressure on the tissue and the tissues revolt rebelling by placing intense scar tissue I don't know next time maybe put a little smaller wow. implant and take off the pressure makes I sense a, right
0: it makes complete sense and I, I've got a question and maybe this is a stupid question I don't know but is it possible if somebody doesn't want to do an implant can they do a fat transfer into the area mm.
2: so good we one. Get, yeah so okay, okay so. this is a very good question because I will tell you you know plastic surgery and by the way i'm I'm trying to do a show about the history of plastic surgery because it's such a crazy field when you think yeah. about it you think about it. plastic surgery is a field is a field where we do literal experimentation on human beings for vanity God, yeah. i mean what what doctor who went to med school and did a residency was a smart couple of guys decided in their garage to put some silicone in a baggie and make an incision and sh- like, Shut who said that was okay? <laughs> I mean, where, where where, are the animal experiments for 15 years to at least show? And by the way, I wouldn't want to do that either because I'm a big animal person, so I don't, yeah, I don't too. buy that either. But I mean, they just, and so if you think about it, Putting, taking fat from one part of the body and putting another part of the body, well, is that gonna work or is the fat gonna die? Is the that's fat what I gonna wondered, take? or is it gonna dissipate? So non-plastic surgeons, when I first went into practice, were doing a thing called the Bambi, breast augmentation by fat injection or something they called it like that, the Bambi, okay? And dermatologists were doing it. And it was like, and the American Society of Plastic Surgeons said, that's criminal. There's been no test to show that works. Those could get into blood vessels and go to the lungs and kill people. And then all of a sudden it started to become a popular procedure. So the American society Plastic surgeon says, well, maybe uh, we should start doing that. Um, and then they started doing it. So it went wow. from experimentation that the American society plus surgeon said that was terrible that they're doing it, to like, they started doing it because they were like missing the boat. Then it evolved into taking fat and putting it in the buttock and then you have the kardashian effect where now everybody wants a larger buttock because you can do it by taking liposuction fat and putting the buttock but then that operation turns out to be the most fatal operation on the planet because it can get into those short little blood vessels in the buttock and go to the lungs and kill you and so to answer your question (laughs) apart from human experimentation, we have learned a lot. Like I think the safest fat transfer is the kind of fat transfer that Paul does. Mm. And the most effective. Paul has a way of taking the fat in very, very fine particles and processes it in such a way and injects it in such a way as to get it to lay down in a bed of vascular tissue, typically in the face, that has a very high chance of taking and has a very low chance of getting into blood vessels that will cause a big problem. But even when Paul does it, he warns the patient, Hey, I may inject this nano fat, this little small amount of fat, and it could get into your optical, your, your uh, orbital vein or artery, the ophthalmic artery vein and cause blindness. He warns you of that. That's never happened to him, but it happens not infrequently to other people. So, To answer your question finally, I'm not a fan of it in anywhere except the face. I'm certainly not a fan of it in the buttock. It's very popular, it's the fastest growing procedure, but I don't like it because no operation is worth, suddenly you can die for. And in the breasts, what happens if it dies, and I see this all the time, and it forms calcified cysts, or fat necrosis that calcifies. Then on a mammogram, what you know what a calcification can mean to a mammographer, to a radio, a, a radio, uh, a x-ray, radiologist. radiologist, thank you, cancer. And now you're doing biopsies and by, oh by the way. Oh, God. Waves, I know. So, Mackenzie, Paul and I, and I always tell my patients this, listen, I want you to take some of my opinions with a grain of salt because I, and I think, I don't want to speak for Paul, but I think you would agree with this. We see disasters. Yeah. So we have a very biased view of certain new procedures. Because, for example, there's a procedure that I think Paul does or, or knows people do called the J-plasma thing. You know that thing, Paul?
1: Yeah. You put yeah. The yeah. J plas- yeah, we. St- yeah, I still do
2: it. Okay. Go to Paul for it. Go, go to a guy with, you know, a lot of gray hair or no hair or a guy or girl who does it all the time. Because this is a potentially disastrous crazy procedure. So it's a newish procedure. It works in the right hands, but Renuvion J Plasma, in my opinion, is a scary procedure in the wrong hands. And that means wow. anybody who hasn't done it a lot because it can really cause a lot of problems. So I know I'm rambling and, you know, I'm fascinated with the history no, of plastics. Surgery. I could talk all day about how plastic surgery started and how, you know, Arms no, were I'm, used to...
0: I'm so I'm I'm right there with you. I'm very fascinated because I I did hear a story of a family member going way way back that was one of the first implant uh, surgeries when it was first being done, and apparently wax was used. By the <laughs> way,
2: I'll tell you why wax was used because in 1917, okay, one of the first cosmetic procedures done, uh, cosmetic procedures done that used foreign body they decided to use paraffin wax as a filler for, right. you know, this is world war one sort of era, you know, and by the way, a giant part of plastic surgery was born out of world war one and world war two. And yeah. then when world war two was over and there were a gazillion plastic surgeons around and no more wars, they started to go, well, we're like, <laughs> what do we have left to do? They started cosmetic surgery. Wow. Cause they need to feed their families. But anyway, paraffin wax was put in, in a face, but they didn't really realize, well, paraffin wax at 98.6, yes. that melts. melts. And that's
0: the story that I was told, that during summer months, it was a different. And then winter months, it was a whole other set.
2: <laughs> Mackenzie, let me tell you something. Paul and I saw one of the most fascinating patients on, on four, oh, please tell three me. or four five seasons ago on Botch, where there was a way to do a breast augmentation by putting these strings inside a breast pocket, strings that were so irritable, irritated by the, the tissues were so irritated by these strings that it would cause a seepage of the body's own fluid. Sounds safe, right? <laughs> the problem is, so you put these the strings in, the body slowly leaks and you get, your own physiologic fluid in the pocket. Well, wow, that sounds like a safe breast, way to breast augment someone. The problem is what stops it? And then we had a patient who had these huge breasts from Mm -hmm. strings only for years and years. And she would say, well, when I go to like a Thanksgiving dinner and have a high salt meal or like a sushi meal, like literally at the table, they're in front of everybody's eyes. They're getting bigger. And when Paul and I saw this patient, she had had strings. Remember that one, Paul? Strings mm-hmm. in for years. They mm-hmm. were like out here.
1: Yeah, they're incredibly huge.
0: So have you ever turned a patient down? Is there anything that would ever cause, like, that in your mind would say, I, there's, I'm not working on you?
2: Well, I think Paul and I could both answer that equally. Paul, Yeah, I would like for both you, of you. That, you answer yeah. that one.
1: There's a show on the E! channel.
0: Yeah, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> I just want to know, outside of Botched...
2: Paul, Paul, rule out, rule out that Mackenzie's never watched Botched. Just rule right. that out. So, no, no, that's true. Is,
0: I have, we, I have. I'm a big fan. Um, I just we, never
2: told Dr. We
1: Naz We probably, about. especially of who we are, we probably turn down about 10% of our cases.
0: That's what I was wondering. How many you truly do turn down?
2: Well, there's a difference between the cases on botch and the cases in our regular practice, right?
0: Exactly. On botch,
2: we turn down a third, right, Paul? Yeah. Because every episode, we try to highlight and bring on a patient who has either unrealistic expectations or um, such a crazy, unfixable problem that we say, you know, it's probably safer not to do anything. But in our regular practice, you turned down about 10%, you think? yeah well because
1: of the nose stuff that i have to deal with mm. you know not the faces, is not face lips and eyes but the nose i'd say one out of 10 i can't touch because they're too unrealistic or i know they're not going to be happy
0: Interesting. i just know what's yeah.
1: going to happen you'll turned down what maybe about 2%
2: no no i turned down more i mean there are sometimes my surgery coordinators hate this because sometimes i will have a whole day booked of new patients And they are excited to help people and sign them up for surgery. They know how much I love doing surgery. Um, And I'll see the first one and go, yeah, no. And then I'll see the next one. No, not a good idea. And and they go, what are we just like turning everybody away today? So it -hmm. it really depends. In sort of the way I think about turning patients, there's a way is, you know, the two sort of main reasons to turn a patient away is, One is unreal expectations, because no matter what you do, you hit a home run and they're still totally unhappy. You blew it when you operate on those people. So so we have a grid in plastic surgery. Happy doctor, happy patient. Unhappy doctor, unhappy patient. The worst patient is the happy doctor, meaning happy doctor thinks he got a good result or she, and unhappy patient you blew it you either didn't figure out they were a red flag patient with unrealistic expectations mm-hmm. or you just didn't you didn't pick up that they were a little you know what i mean <laughs> Maybe. a
0: little psychological profile there
2: <laughs> yeah i mean we're really good at it now by the way on botch the other day on the actual show paul had a patient come on who was scheduled to have surgery. I mean, she was on the books. They spent, a I mean, the network spends a fortune flying these people in, putting them up, feeding them, feeding their their significant other, blah, blah, blah. And he's seeing her on camera. And on camera, we spend a lot of time with these people. We really get into it, on camera, off camera. (laughs) And in the first 10 minutes on camera, Paul's going like this, yeah, no. I, I can see it, I'm thinking, what's wrong? What's wrong with her? What's wrong? Something, remember that Paul? This is two Mm -hmm. weeks ago. Mm
1: -hmm. Something
2: set you off. I didn't pick it up. You did. And at first I thought you were wrong. But boy, were you right. She just decomposed during that console.
1: Yeah, we'll end up we're not operating on her. You know, she actually
2: kind of canceled herself,
1: but you know
0: if you take breast implants out and you just want them out, like say somebody does feel they have breast implant illness or they just they just want to have them out, is it is the Woman left with a lot of scarring then because they don't put anything else back in.
2: Okay, that's a very good question. And the answer is Mm, I always tell my wife this.
1: Great question.
2: Yeah, I always tell my wife this, you know, when asked a question like this, the answer is always initially, it depends. Ah. So, if a woman has a lot of, some women will have it your age initially and then will come in many years later and they're hard, they may have signs of breast implant illness. They want them out. Well, yeah. many years later, some of these women have gained weight and their breasts are a lot bigger. And they're not that droopy. In them, take the implant out, take the capsule out, do nothing else. Fabulous. That's one group. Mm-hmm. In women, That's... it really, at the end of the day, just to simplify, just to make it more uh, understandable and, and faster, it depends on the percentage of your mound that is breast tissue versus implant. So if you have very little breast tissue and most of what you're seeing with the volume is implant, that's gonna be a very deflated breast. And that may end up being very droopy and deflated. And those people, and that's one of the most common things I do, should consider having them taken out and having tissue rearrangement with a lift and having everything put back together in a nice tighter envelope. The big negative of that is scarring. So the scarring goes around the areola, down the center, and in the crease. Most women who've had them for a long time are willing to trade that scarring for a good breast shape, okay? So where it gets very, very difficult, you have a very thin woman who has a full breast. The entire volume of the breast is composed of the implant. In other words, Mm -hmm. they just have empty sacs. That's sort of hard to make a three-dimensional projecting structure out of a two-dimensional burlap sack. I have learned, just because Botched, the universe has taught me through all these thousands of cases, how to make that work. I've learned how to do that. But even as someone who has my level of experience and volume... If you have nothing, it's really hard to give you good shaping if you have literally nothing.
0: Nothing. And that's exactly what I just,
2: was
1: Just straight curious. skin.
2: What's the other question you're going to ask me? I
1: Well, here we go. Uh, you want to just get them out? Let's ask them then.
2: Yeah, yeah, we what can is... rapid fire.
1: What is it like working as a surgeon in the public
0: in eye? In the public eye.
2: Oh. Well, you know, it has its pros and cons. Yeah, I was going to say it's
1: good and bad.
2: yeah. <laughs> I mean, careful what you wish. I, I mean, any plaster to wish they got as lucky as Paul and, and I did. Um, but, you know, you're subjected to a lot more scrutiny and, any, and a, a patient can threaten to sue you. And yeah. it's not the lawsuit you're afraid of. It's the threat because they'll go online, not go online if they sue you. It goes on TMZ that you got sued. Whereas any other plastic surgeon gets sued, no one ever hears Nobody about it. Nobody hears it. it. Mm-hmm. What happens is they file a lawsuit. The court clerk in the in the courts, I think, get paid 150 bucks by calling TMZ and giving them the lawsuit. So immediately it spread all over. So there's good and bad, mostly good, mostly okay. good. But it's uh, you know, you, Mackenzie, you know, it's the same thing in your life oh, yeah. too. You know. Yeah, of course, yeah, yeah nah. no. No, you've got to be what, very careful. I mean, you get a DUI, you get into a fight, you break up with a significant other, it's it's public fodder. It's everywhere. It's, it's, it's everywhere. It's what,
1: what is yeah. it like? The experiences the, botched versus the swan.
2: Very different. The really? Swan The Swan was a you know an experimental television show that was very popular for two years and didn't have the greatest message. You know, it was like, you are not good enough, so you should have a full facial and body transformation so that you can be good enough and be Ooh. complete. Whereas Botched that is, you know, yeah, it was a lot of fun. It wouldn't work today. I wouldn't mm-hmm. do that show today. Um, but Botched is, I mean, Botched is the single greatest thing I've ever been involved with. It's the thing I'm most proud of. I, I want it to be my legacy because we don't get on Botch to We don't, you know, how look how good we are. We warn people. We use our education training experience, our vast experience to help people. And sometimes they don't have as good a result as we'd like. And we are honest about it. So Bosch has a really beautiful message about if you're going to do it, be informed, know the risks, make sure your surgeon's good, make sure you're a good candidate, make sure you do it for the right reasons. Swan was like, you're not good enough. (laughs) Oh
0: God, I remember that show so well. It was, it was, oh, it was a tough one. That brings you to what is your most memorable surgery?
2: My most memorable surgery is we had a woman, much like Paul has this season, But even maybe to a greater degree, but we had a woman, I think second or third season, we saw her in the second season, and she went to one of those pumping parties, had literal concrete injected into her face, which is like caulking material from like a Home Depot, and it caused these severe inflammatory, what are called granulomus reactions, and she literally walked around like the elephant man. And she went to dozens of surgeons, dozens of dermatologists, and there was nothing they wanted to do, or they thought it was too dangerous. We thought about it, we turned her down, we said, it's just too dangerous. We brought her on just to show people don't do this. But then by the time the next year rolled around, we sort of thought about it, and I thought there was a way actually to do it. And we figured out a way to do it, and it worked. And so that was a really important case, Mm -hmm. because it it taught me a lot about how to deal with foreign bodies and the face and the body. and it really taught me some new principles that are not available in any textbooks. And so that, I don't know what is you, is you're still in your case with the, the one with this, you found the subarachnoid, those things. I don't know. I think what you did this season to me is a bigger deal. Well, yeah,
1: I mean, this is, I mean, again, this is something we can't talk about now, but the healing process, it's going to be still interesting. Um, but yeah, really? I mean, mine was a lady just to give you two seconds. And my, we had a lady who got into a, you know, a, a moped accident in Italy, hit her hit her face, nose, and she had very good reconstruction, but I ended up redoing it. But when we were doing it, she complained of a symptom that got me worried, so we got a CT scan of her brain in her face, and she ended up having a very big aneurysm, <gasps> um, which is, um, you know, of the one of the blood vessels around the brain, where if it pops, and I had a few relatives, by the way, die, from this, they just didn't wake up. Young relatives, my first cousin, David, in Boston. And uh, we caught it. They fixed it back east in Boston through a Harvard trained vascular surgeon, saved her life. We ended up going and doing her surgery on botched. And then um, her daughter had autism, and she never did stuff with her daughter because she was afraid, didn't like going outside. She couldn't stand the way her nose looked, um, and it held her held her life and held the relationship and this fixed her and a relationship with her daughter saved her life and then just recently we don't know why this is horrible ending we found out that she passed away recently uh don't know why or how you didn't know that Terry? I didn't
2: know that yes, but by died. the way that was a long time ago that you discovered that but that was Five, featured 5 6 at years nightline. ago you can actually google it it was on an episode of nightline Remember that? I ball? didn't
1: know that. No, I forgot. Oh, that's right. That was. But wow. speaking of, you mentioned this earlier, but what would you tell everyone if they're going to go and have plastic surgery? What is or your best advice for patients?
2: Yeah. So I think it's keep it simple, right? The, the, the most complicated things are best looked at through a more sort of reasonable, simple approach in many ways. And that is make sure you you really want to have this thing done. I mean, you have a bump on your nose, great. If you have small breasts, great. If you have a little bit of excess fat on your body, really, maybe just work out a little harder. If your breasts were great and then they're just really good, you know, maybe don't don't do it because these things have risks. But identify a physician. Who you you've heard a lot about? Okay, not based on their necessarily their reviews or what one or two people have told you about, but you know, take your time, okay? Because mm. nobody needs to wake up and have emergency plastic surgery, okay? <laughs> so, get a feel for two or three doctors, go meet them. Most of the time, I think Paul would agree with this. Patients who had a bad feeling knew. Patients who had a problem had a bad feeling a lot of times about the doctor or the situation and their gut. Listen to your gut, Mm -hmm. but Clint, but objectively make sure they're certified by the American board of facial plastic surgery or the American board of plastic surgery. That's it. Okay. Don't go to someone who's not board certified because that means either they're not trained in plastic surgery or they're trained in it, but couldn't pass the tests. That's like lasting your class kind of thing. Okay. So, We used to have a joke. What do you call the person who was last in their class in medical school?
1: What? Doctor. Doctor.
2: (laughs) Doctor. Just because they're called doctor doesn't mean they're really good, all right? Oh. So so last in their class means they're not passing the stringent exams to show competency. And by the way, even if they're board certified, doesn't necessarily mean they're okay. But at least you know they're trained they got it together enough to pass these tests and then finally i will say paul you can add make sure they're allowed to do those procedures in the hospital because the Ah. hospital has a very aggressive thorough conservative vetting process so if your doctor isn't allowed to do a facelift a breast implant a breast reduction a boom a whatever in the local hospital they're not plastic surgeons of any real skill set, or they're not plastic surgeons at all. I defend a lot of doctors, okay, and I got a case the other day of a guy who's a general surgeon, put himself out there as a cosmetic surgeon, and by the way, if they call themselves a cosmetic surgeon, in my opinion, very big red flag. Ooh. We plastic surgeons don't call ourselves cosmetic surgeons because that's the way they sort of get around not calling themselves Plastic surgeon. Oh, we're surgeons. That's good surgeons. to know. That's really yeah. good to
1: know.
2: <laughs> if your doctor is a cosmetic, say I'm a cosmetic surgeon, go, well, are you a plastic surgeon? Are you board certified in one of the plastic surgery fields, facial or American Board of? Oh. Can you do the mo, cosmetic surgeons by and large can't do these procedures in the hospital because hospital's not letting someone who's not properly trained do it in their facility because they're gonna get sued and be held liable. So make sure they have privileges mm. to do it in the hot, every one, every operation that Paul does in his surgery center, he can do it. The world's best hospital, Cedar Sinai. Okay, mm-hmm.
1: Mackenzie, did you learn a lot, young lady? Even I learned I'm a 10. lot.
0: This was this was a big eye opener for me.
1: By the way, speaking of uh, Instagram and stuff, your handle is Dr. DeBro, Doctor DeBro.
2: Yeah, Paul, you and I should have a TV show.
1: Yeah, I think that we, <laughs> we could actually, move.
2: Mackenzie so awesome to see you my condolences that you have to hang out with him oh i love
1: it well don't worry you're hanging out with me tomorrow (laughs) brother thank you for doing this thank you thank you for listening to demystify beauty produced by gotham production studios if you have any questions for future episodes please don't hesitate to reach out to us on instagram at demystify beauty D-E-M-Y-S-T-I-F-Y beauty or email us at demystifybeauty at gmail.com. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show. See you next time.